Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I am John Gurney, as per usual film editor for the young folks. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a writer at Collider.com, and he's also the world's least successful detective. It's Will Ashen. I didn't know I had such an honorary distinction, but thanks, John. Thanks for putting my business out there, honorary? I guess. Honorary, I yeah. Said I said least know. successful. It's not really yeah. an honor. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's an infamous honor, I guess. You know, I mean, you can, mm. you know, yeah, it's yeah. better to be the best or the worst, I guess, as opposed to mediocre. So as long as you don't seek vengeance against me. Sure. Uh, we're talking about the Batman on this week's show, uh, along with a couple other films that we saw at Sundance that are hitting limited release after Yang and Fresh. We're going to get to those later. But yeah, the Batman's the big movie of the week. It's been, you know, crushing the box office. Biggest box office haul, I think, of the pandemic. Am I right about that? Or one of them? Uh, I mean, it didn't beat Spider-Man, right? Uh, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I mean, maybe it, it came close at least. So it's grossed over $269 million, which yeah. is pretty wild. Although this is here that it's the fourth highest grossing film of 2022 already, like in just a week. So that's pretty, pretty wild fourth highest what were the other ones before it i assume scream and sure. um they might be counting spider-man no way home since that came out december and i don't know I guess. not really a 2022 what? movie so uh was this less successful than the opening of uncharted uh i think it's more successful for I sure because uncharted i don't think made that much i just didn't know why it would be fourth like yeah, i actually like did not like, make yeah yeah, but Uncharted did not gross $269 million for this weekend. It did well, but it, yeah, it did not right. make that much money. Um, but it has made a lot of money so far. It's been kind yeah. of a slow burn movie. Hmm. It's okay. We don't have to relitigate our Uncharted discussion. Sure. Already. I just I was trying to figure out well, how wait. it could be the fourth. I just didn't know how it'd be that low compared to you know what else has come well, out we this can, year. We can look yeah. it up. I don't want you to get all upset, like what's going on and all confused. Let's look at the 2022 box office. Um, yeah, this is counting Spider-Man No Way Home and Sing 2. Um, also, The King's Man. So I guess they're that counting them because they made a lot of money in 2022. Count. That's cheating. That's... Uh, look, I'm just telling you what I'm being told. Like, sure. even Box Office Mojo is saying that. So, so that's, I mean, yeah. If, if those are the first three, then this is definitely the highest grossing film thus far of 2022. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is already, like, I think number two domestic. And it's, yeah, clearly the Batman is going to have a very healthy box office season, which is kind of wild because it's March and we have a new Pixar movie coming out this weekend. Now, we're recording this a bit late because, Will, you you weren't able to see the Batman until a little bit later. So we're, we're coming in this discussion after, you know, the first wave of takes. Like, everybody's going to come in with their Batman takes. And, and they've had their fun. But it's time for John and Will to do cleanup. We're, we're, on, we're on damage control right now. But we, we have a, we're, like, we're hot on the heels of a Pixar movie that's not going to be in theaters. And I know we're going to talk about Turning Red next week and everything, but... I just want to. I just want to get this off my chest, Will Ashton. I, why didn't they just come out with Turning Red in theaters? I, I mean, with Batman and, and Spider Man and Scream, like Uncharted, like people are going to the movies. Like Disney really miscalculated here. Or you agree? I would say so, but I mean, look, I don't know what their logic is. It does seem like they're going off of Encanto's success on Disney Plus versus its theatrical run, but that was 
that came out what November or whatever, and uh, it mm-hmm. hit Disney Plus yeah. over the Christmas time season when people were home. So I mean, to I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the numbers work like for Soul or for Luca compared to like what it would have been projected to do in theaters. But I don't know. I mean, it is. I mean, I think everyone was understandably upset when I got dumped onto streaming earlier this year or last year. I was and, upset. Yeah. My, and, my little yeah. Pixar theory is that I think oh, they, you have a Pixar they want to put these originals. <laughs> yeah. That's for the first time ever. <laughs> yeah. um, that I think that they want to put these originals on Disney plus because they do pretty well. They, I don't think they do amazing. I think they do well. And they're just like, well, we want this to like look good for like financial reasons. We don't want to like take a loss on these original projects by putting them in the theaters. We don't want to spend a ton of marketing money on them, mm-hmm. which is dumb because it, it's I think it's counterproductive. I think that they're sort of saying like, well, we're going to we're going to create franchises for them like through Disney Plus. So like maybe the sequel to luca which is not gonna happen but you know what i mean yeah. it's like if, they're just gonna save the franchise stuff for theaters because the right you know, the numbers are telling them that's what's gonna take off i mean what's what's grossing right now the screen franchise the uncharted franchise mm-hmm. spider-man and batman mm-hmm. so yeah that's i mean it does, math. it does seem distressing that that is their uh business operations i i blame that mainly on like their ceo's line of thinking you know being a like theme park guy who's it was terrible into, by the way the, yeah, he's not great. We we haven't talked about Bob Chapek. He he is a an atrocious. Like I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of most CEOs, but this guy's really sure. pushing. Yeah. like the list. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's I'm, done some bad I things mean, so I, far. I never thought I'd. Yeah, I never thought I'd miss Bob Iger. <laughs> like, sure. Honestly, it's kind of weird, but I mean, yeah. Maybe we'll uh we'll we'll devote a whole episode someday to the. I don't to the know Bobs. if we should do that, but um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'll just say that, yeah, I mean, I, I just think Disney, I mean, they also are doing something similar with the uh, 20th Century Fox. Like, I think they're only putting a handful of those movies coming up into theaters. The rest are just see, making streaming exclusives. So it does seem like you're right that yeah. they just view, they have a very narrow window of what they deem theater worthy. And it's basically anything that they can get like a 200 million plus profit off of. And that's just, it's just dirty capitalism, baby. That's just dirty consumerism business and i'm not a big fan of it but you know that's their business operation yeah, I mean, right no now. one no one is under no one's under the delusion that disney is in this for art's sake or anything yeah that's no, it's just that's very been for a very long time right well yeah i mean yeah sure but i mean I, you know it's just yeah yeah and people who are like you guys are supposed to be talking about the batman you're supposed to be talking about fresh and after game well fresh is searchlight which is disney mm-hmm. so we were getting there yeah. eventually and that they're dropping that sure. on hulu no theatrical yeah um, i think it might be getting like a no, actually, no, I think they just dropped that one on Hulu after right, Yang, yeah. I think, got limited theatrical, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, we'll I, yeah, that. I know I know. after Yang was primarily uh, Showtime, but they did give it a limited theatrical run. I think the same deal they did with The Humans. But Fresh, they announced even before it premiered at Sundance, it was going to go straight to Hulu. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So let's talk about The Batman. Now, the Batman is the latest Batman movie. It's been a while since we had a movie that was just about Batman. In fact, this is, it's been, <laughs> I was thinking about this, first time we've gotten a solo Batman movie where it's like the first like time appearance of that Batman, like new actor, new universe, whatever. Uh, we haven't gotten something like that since like Batman Begins in 2005, Christopher Nolan's launch of the Dark Knight trilogy. And we have a new Batman here played by Robert Pattinson. And we have really kind of a reboot of the Batman franchise. We did have Ben Affleck playing 
the Batman character a couple years after The Dark Knight Rises in 2012. He came in with Batman versus Superman, though, and the Ben Affleck Batman was always part of like the shared universe thing. It was like the DCEU. And I remember one of the first things we talked about on Cinema Holics back in 2017 was when Matt Reeves took over the Batman project. They were going to be making a Batman movie with Ben Affleck starring and directing. And according to Affleck in the years after, he was kind of like, yeah, we were going to do something that was going to be like Batman as like James Bond was kind of the angle that they were going to go for. It was going to be more suave and slick. It was definitely going to match a little bit more to like the CrossFit kind of Batman we saw in BBS and Justice League and yeah, most recently Zack Snyder's Justice League. But Ben Affleck, for reasons that became pretty apparent eventually, he, he really had to stop doing the Batman character. It was not working out. And Matt Reeves took over the project and it was unclear for a while too. like, OK, is he going to do like a new you know, Batman act? Like, is there going to be a new Batman? Is he going to be doing it with Ben Affleck? We weren't totally sure, even when we were talking about this in 2017. And it took a while for this movie to come out because Matt Reeves, the director, was still finishing up War for the Planet of the Apes when all this was going on. And then we kind of had the whole pandemic thing happen, which kind of delayed this movie like several times. I mean, I think it was initially going to be coming out last June. And yeah, it got pushed to this month. And Mm -hmm. here it is now. And it's doing quite well. And I think people were looking forward to this a lot because Matt Reeves kind of took the screenplay. He kind of took what... Affleck and you know the Warner Brothers folks were looking at and he really just like rethought what this movie could be it's a you know the second year of Batman's career so it's, it's kind of like more of a sequel to Batman Begins than it would be like uh you know a, a, like a new take right it's borrowing inspiration from a bunch of Batman comics uh, before we talk about any of that Batman stuff though well I want to get your read like what where are you at with Batman, you know, cinematically at this point? I, I, I forget, actually, like because we haven't really talked about Batman that much on the show. I guess not. But have you, like, you watched the show, the animated series? The, no, all the I haven't movies? watched that. I haven't, re- I haven't seen the animated series. I have seen Mask of the Phantasm. Um, but, I mean, you know, I, mostly it comes from the cinematic portrayals prior to this film. I have read a little bit of the comics uh, leading into this. I know this one... Uh, if not exclusively, was at least partially based on the long Halloween. Uh, certainly, they pay homage to that at the beginning of the film. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar yeah, with like, like, long Halloween yeah. and the, the sequel Dark Victory, but also mm-hmm. Year One and right. Ego. And uh, there's there there are a lot of stuff like, you know, percolating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is like, is not supposed to be like Batman's like second year being the Batman in this film? It's yeah, like you said, it's yeah, kind of yeah. going back to that year one mindset where i guess they were kind of tapping into that with uh batman begins as well but that was like a straight origin story whereas this is like batman's been doing this right for a little bit we don't want to do you know we want you don't want to like relitigate the whole you know he got his parents got killed in an alley he puts on the cow and the mask and all that you know you know it was like cow in the cape i mean um you know it's like no popcorn and pearls moment Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, it's like he's he is Batman, but, you know, he's not like the Batman yet. Of course, based on the title, we know that's going to come later on. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a character I think has, you know, withstand the test of time for many obvious reasons. And I have certainly quite enjoyed a lot of the past films. I think my personal favorites are, you know, the be the most basic uh, film fan possible, The Dark Knight Rises, or Dark Knight, I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think that's, you know, widely considered a masterpiece for I mean, it, obvious yeah, it's, reasons. It's unassailable. Yeah. yeah. 
but I really do enjoy like the Dark Knight. I think that one in um, Batman Begins and Mask of Phantasm for me, just like rule, you know, sure. they're the top of the heap for me. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's Bat- the Dark Knight and Batman Returns. Like those are the definitive Batman movies to me. I don't know if saying Batman Returns is like popular or unpopular. This opinion. I feel like most people really like it at this point. So that makes sense. I really yeah, yeah. do enjoy Return uh, is really good and relevant to this discussion because we have a sure. new Catwoman, uh, the third cinematic and, one. Well, I actually know fourth because Earth Thick Hit. And new Penguin, too. So, yeah. Totally um, new Penguin. And uh, were you ever into the Adam West Batman by any chance? Like, did you ever check that out? Like, even the animated series? Yeah, you know, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Uh, I've seen a little <laughs> bit. I've seen the movie, I it's think. A, it's I, a wild ride. It's, uh, I've seen, you know, like, you know, the clips and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever watched more than, like, a couple episodes but you know it's fun it's goofy it's very yeah, campy yeah. it's it, you know i can definitely see the appeal of its time yeah i do think it yeah. is funny I, I saw someone doing the watchman meme earlier where it's just like you know you see dr manhattan on the moon being like 1989 batman is now dark and gritty 2008 batman is now dark and gritty 2022 batman is now dark and gritty it's just like it seems like we've you know keep trying to like <laughs> act like no no this is now the dark and gritty batman which i respect i think it's fine and fitting for the character but there is also that sense of like i know a lot of people want to return back to that um kind of more campy silly charm and i did really like that this movie i think more than people are giving it credit kind of split the difference a little bit obviously it is very brooding and fincher Mm. influence and stuff like that but there is this feels more uh true to that kind of like burton campiness that you know, like we kind of got in more like in I line with like, all the this com- movie campy. No, uh, at times, no. like I guess this maybe not- cartoonish. Sorry, that's what I mean. Yeah, more cartoonish and more true to like the kind of comic book aesthetic than previous films. Like I, like I felt like Nolan tried to move away from that. Snyder kind of leaned into it, but like in ways I think people weren't as keen on. And this one is just kind of like it's clearly a little bit Burton and a little bit of nolan but it's mostly taking influence from fincher but also you know having the the miller um influence as well there so you know it's i think it's it's borrowing from a lot of different creative influences which is pretty typical i think of matt reeve style but he's also super confident as a studio hire and i think he tends to really produce some solid if not always exceptional stuff i don't want to undersell you know how Batman has had so many various iterations over the years. I have seen a lot of Batman stuff. I played the many Batman games, the Arkham Asylum games, which I think also play a pretty heavy influence. Oh yeah, yeah oh yeah, say. because mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of like the way that, that Gotham is drawn, the way that like the Riddler and these villains are sort of like Catwoman, especially like a well, yeah, lot of this say. stuff reminds mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, all I mean, even though I haven't really played that game, I have seen clips from that and i felt like all the scenes with batman and catwoman just like on the roof talking were very similar to those scenes in arkham asylum you know just like the way that they kind of uh pal yeah. around well they won't they could yeah. they should right be. yeah exactly yeah I, I love me some bat and the cat i mean that and, and i have to say like with dark knight rises where you know we got like our first like modern Catwoman, you know post michelle pfeiffer and I, I I don't I don't think the Anne Hathaway Catwoman was very effective at all. Like I, I just oh, I have no. I, I have to rewatch the, the Dark Knight Rises. 
Yeah. Really? Because like when I think back on that movie, I just don't think of her as Catwoman. I just think of her as like supporting actress Anne Hathaway, who just kind of is a bit of a stinker sometimes. I don't know. I thought Maggie Gyllenhaal, not Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, the uh, Marion Cotillard. I thought she had a bigger impression on me than Mm -hmm. Anne Hathaway. Do you hate me for this take? I don't. I am a lot softer on the Dark Knight Rises than I think other people are. I I recognize a lot of the flaws. It definitely gets kind of stupid by the end, but um, I I do think I know because I sure. Uh, you know, I'm being generous a little, but um, I I do think you know I I just admire the grandness, the the grandiosity of it. I guess it's just very appealing to me, and I also I mean obviously it wasn't going to be the Dark Knight, but. Both times I've seen the film because I, you know, obviously I saw it when it came out. I really liked it, and I was like, you know, maybe I just was like really caught up in the enthusiasm of it. But I rewatched it for um, uh, the Bacon and Eggs podcast. I, that was a few years back, but I remember they asked me to be on their show, and I rewatched. It. I was like, man, I'm I'm gonna be really bummed if I rewatch this. I, you know, all my uh, enthusiasm deflates, but I still really liked it when I watched it then. So I'm like, yeah, I just really like this movie. It's just I really enjoy it. And I think Anne Hathaway, uh, to dismiss what you're saying, is really one of the standouts of that film i i just don't think it's a good Catwoman, you know like i and I, you know what i'm totally overlooking halle berry's Catwoman, sure she does kind of reset the curve um mm-hmm. can you blame me for leaving her out i guess but yeah because like that's I not mean, even like a real dc mm-hmm. like created thing like they really just sort of yeah they barely got away with doing Catwoman, like the name of it in that movie it's so obviously like not supposed to be <laughs> connected yeah. to batman and at i all. mean uh, I mean, you brought up the Adam West Batman, but I think outside of Michelle Pfeiffer, probably one of the most iconic Catwomans was Eartha Kitt, you know, and just, you know, what she brought to that. I mean, she was really, really doing great. her own thing with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're going to talk about this new Catwoman. We're going to talk about all the new characters here. But yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I, you know, Batman has a lot of baggage, uh, baggage. Uh, I don't know. But I think that uh, it, it's nice that we can still kind of get. new updated takes on it i I think batman and spider-man since we kind of were comparing them box office wise it's still interesting to compare them you know as sort of like the two heavyweights of marvel and dc in terms of like film wise they do really well in box office i mean people really love batman they really love spider-man i think arguably the two most successful comic book characters on the big screen and so there's a reason why they keep going back to this well. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's almost like Warner Brothers has been sort of experimenting with how to do a Batman on the big screen, kind of like taking pieces of different things and being like, OK, well, what the Nolan movies got really well was like Bruce Wayne. They really got that stuff. You know, they really nailed the sort of whole, you know, like the underpinning ethical, you know, moral quandaries that make Batman interesting. But like, you know, the downside of those movies is that Batman himself doesn't look very cool the fight scenes aren't that interesting or great but the villains you know totally are amazing and so with bbs you have like really like a really good look for batman ben affleck you know the way he sort of like wears the suit and like just the look of the suit the fight choreography i mean that's where Zack snyder tends to excel the some still to this day i think some of the the best batman fight scenes on the big screen this movie is kind of trying to do a bit of both i don't think it's doing either thing better than those movies but it is kind of interesting that it's doing both of those things well so there is like kind of value to that it's like feeling like kind of a like a neat little fusion but even if it's like a little lesser in my opinion 
This is a three-hour movie, just about three hours, I think, including credits. And the story of it is that Batman is, we kind of alluded to the comics that inspired it. It's it's very similar to Long Halloween, as you already brought up in terms of, you know, it doesn't take place over the course of one night, but it it is Batman sort of like following a series of serial killings that, not done by the holiday killer like in those comics or the hangman, but the Riddler. So the Riddler is kind of the the takeover, kind of like a, a Zodiac killer leaving ciphers and everything like that, uh, which is kind of interesting because I think I actually don't remember if Riddler was created as a character before or after the actual Zodiac killer. The Zodiac killer is like 60s and 70s. I think Riddler was came it was like the 50s, 60s, but I, I'd have to look up on um, the comic vine or something like that to get that straight. But I, I don't think the more like modern iteration of Riddler where he is more sort of like a, you know, killer who like leaves down these bizarre ciphers and everything that might, I'm pretty sure that's post Zodiac killer. But anyway, clearly that's what Matt Reeves is going for. Batman is trying to figure out who is killing all these people. There's this massive political conspiracy. It has to do with sort of the underbelly of Gotham, not just with the criminal mob bosses, which include a, and by the way, I forgot to mention Riddler played by Paul Dano. Um, some of these mob bosses include John Turturro, who plays Carmine Fal- or Falcone, Carmine, Carmine Falcone, that's how you say it. And uh, we also have Peter Sarsgaard and Colin Farrell plays the Penguin. You have this sort of like, you know, mob destructive sort of system going on but there's also a political system involving all these folks who like the da and you know people who are sort of uh and that's where peter sarsgaard comes in he's like the da and you also have like uh, these people sort of related to you know bruce wayne's you know life you know is there are there some secrets to his family and and some like complicity that they have in terms of like what's brought gotham down so that's kind of like the setup for this movie. It's a very long movie. It, it, we have Catwoman coming in here, played by Zoe Kravitz. We have Jeffrey Wright playing Commissioner Gordon. And I was saying this in my review. This movie very much is like Batman, Catwoman, and Commissioner Gordon, like it, as like a trio. Like they, they kind of work together, although they don't. All three of them don't really work together much. But like Batman, kind of ping pongs between these two characters who are kind of supporting, um, but also like arguably like at times leave characters in their own right. Uh, this is a, a grittier, bleaker Batman, one who, as we've you know, mentioned, he's more established. There, there's a really great opening scene that kind of lays out how criminals are aware of who Batman is. They're scared of him at this point, and they're kind of like wondering if he's in the shadows. And very moody film. We have Gosh, we have a Nirvana song, the Something in the Way playing, I think, multiple times in this movie. Michael Giacchino does the score, too. I think this movie is pretty good. It, it's it's really uh, fulfilling in terms of getting its Batman story across. I get the sense that you like it a little bit more than I do, though. Um, I think I was just exhausted by the end of it because I think it has too many third acts. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. I got the sense that you liked it a good bit. No, I did. I mean, I think it was just refreshing to me because this last year and maybe people disagree with this. I don't even know at this point. I just felt like last year was such a drought for superhero movies and for comic book movies in general. I mean, I know I'm certainly in a minority on Spider-Man being a stinker, but especially like the Eternals being such a slog and like Black Widow being boring. And um, what else even came out? I mean, like Venom was like fine. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi was fine. Like, you know, it just was like, you know, it was just a lot of just like, you know, theaters are back, but like 
these superhero movies are just not really delivering and they're not really like bringing that cinematic style or punch that you want. They just kind of felt like extended, like, you know, it, it, they didn't really add much to the big screen experience. I felt like in a way that they really needed to that, that year. And so you see a movie like this. Well, that, yeah. Well, can we, can we say like two of, I think two of the most successful superhero movies or comic book movies last year were the suicide squad and Zack Snyder's oh, yeah. just like, so well, yeah, both DC well, I guess, movies. I think DC, yeah, that, yeah. Justice League was probably the highlight, but I, yeah, that, that was it's kind of a weird one because it's like, is it technically last year? It's like a, mm-hmm. a re release in a way, but it is, you know, like they filmed a lot of new stuff for it. But yeah, I mean, I'd say of the theatrical ones, probably the Suicide Squad was a highlight, though I, I found it to be not quite as memorable as I would hope it would be. So it hasn't really stuck in my mind as much as I thought. But every time, like you say, like when you bring it up, I'm just like, yeah, that was a fun time. I enjoyed myself. That's probably the most fun I had watching a comic book movie last year. So, you know, that's DC again. I know, you, know, I know I you haven't watched the, you, you haven't watched the peacekeeper spinoff, right? That they did for right? him with John Cena. I thought it was peacemaker. peacemaker yeah. 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 Uh, it no, is I haven't peacemaker. Yet. Yeah. yeah. I haven't watched that yet. Which is arguably better than the movie. And sure. I I know they're doing kind of something kind of similar for this movie. They're going to do two spin-off shows. I think one of and sequels, but I think the the show for HBO Max, one of them is going to be penguin related, so. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, coming I mean, back. The, yeah. But as far as uh this film is concerned, uh you know, it just even though Matt Reeves I feel like doesn't quite have a style that feels distinct to him. And I think that's maybe why he hasn't really been appreciated compared to some of his contemporaries. I do think he just really, you know, he's a super competent filmmaker and he, you know, when you get him on hire for something like this, like you can tell, like he puts a lot of thought and craft into it. And like you said, like you just watch those opening scenes with both the Riddler and the Batman where they're sort of paralleling, but they're also clearly distinct and the way they use shadow and lighting and, you know, really build out and flesh out this version of Gotham in a way that's pretty pulpy, but also kind of grungy and and bleak in a way that I feel is probably the most reminiscent of, I guess, Batman Begins as far as like cinematic portrayals of Gotham. But at the same time, just, you know, it feels a little bit more lived in, than I think, previous versions of the the film have because they just never quite find that balance between like making Gotham a city of its own, but, you know, borrowing from other cities like this one. I think they filmed in, I think, like New Zealand if i'm recalling correctly but yeah it has like that sense of like it could be any city that yeah it could be any city but also doesn't feel like distinct enough to any one particular it's not quite chicago it's not quite new york it's not quite seattle you know it it, it kind of feels like it's a anonymous but also very universal and i think that's something i really admire about how matt reeves approaches the city of gotham in this one but yeah i mean as far as the film is concerned yeah i i feel like the main thing that might hinder this movie is that it doesn't quite feel definitive compared to past Batman movies. Like I know there's this argument now about whether this version is better or worse than the Nolan movies. And I just feel like Nolan's films, however you feel about them, they just feel more definitively, you know, like because they came out when they did. And also just because they have to find Batman movies, including this one for, you know, generations now probably to come. It just feels like those movies are going to just last a little bit longer than I think this one will. It just, it's, very well made and it's very enjoyable and i didn't really even mind the super long length of it but i do feel like the one thing that's going to prevent me from being like yes this is the you know a great batman movie is that just doesn't feel singular enough to itself but at the same time i feel like this is probably one of the better portrayals of batman the character that we've gotten on the big screen i feel like that's almost kind of unquestionable in some ways so three things okay 
the you know, first of all, yeah, I mean, that's the, the I think this movie's lack of its own definitive identity. That's, that's like the first thing I told you or said about the film to you when I was walking out. Like, I literally was like, yeah, this thing is it's really cool. It's a cool combination of things, but it's just not its own thing enough. You know, in some ways it kind of is. But yeah, it, that certainly was my chief criticism of it was that it's just right. a little bit too much of a stitching of other things. Um, but, you know, not in a bad way, not not in. It has signature touches, but I think in terms of like the most important stuff, like the, I, I said this in my review, like the engine of the movie just isn't quite of its own. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll explain that more in a sec, I guess. But sure. uh, also fact check this. The movie was filmed in London um, and kind of a, around the UK. So I don't see anything here about New Zealand. Um, I don't know where they would have filmed this in New Zealand. I don't know, because where New Zealand, it's a pretty urban movie. But anyway, sure. Um, yeah, they filmed this like all over the UK. It looks well, like. Well, I thought they did a lot of like studio work in New Zealand, like a lot of the like. Um, I mean, landscape. maybe like if they yeah. if you're talking about like some if that's what you know, post production work, but maybe I don't know. I thought there was filmed it there. I thought they said the end like shot in New Zealand, but I maybe just misread the credits. Who knows? Um, yeah, I don't see it. It also it looks here that they also shot it in Chicago a little bit too. So um, yeah, nothing about New Zealand, but okay. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention. Is that, yeah, I think with the Nolan movies, also, like, th- those movies kind of came out of very, uh, at a time when you still could have, like, pop culture could be actually really be affected by <laughs> these kind of big movies. I mean, even if you look at something like Spider-Man No Way Home, huge movie, made a ton of money. Did it really impact culture in a big way? Did it break through the noise? I guess it did. Like, a lot of people saw that movie and talked about it, but I just don't think that it had, like, anywhere near the same impact as like Spider-Man 2 or, you know, we can even say like The Dark Knight or something like that. Uh, maybe because it's not as good as those movies. Sure. But I just think that it, it, there is like a higher mountain to climb for movies to have like this. sort. Of, like we were even talking about in Kanso sort of like surprisingly having a longer pop culture shelf life than we were expecting, if only because, you know, that song just sort of miraculously like made it to the number one billboards. And we were like, oh, I guess people watched Encanto now. So now it's sort of like a big movie, kind of. It's really hard to judge these things these days. Uh, I also want to mention, I think part of this movie, one one thing that it does do that is very different, and it deserves a lot of credit for, is I think this is a really good take on Bruce Wayne. I, I think like a fresh take, because usually the Bruce Wayne we get is like the kind of the Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne, where he's kind of this suave, you know, I mentioned kind of the James Bond thing earlier. He's like a bit of a playboy in public, but when he's Batman, he's kind of, you know, it's like a dual life, right? And that's very comic accurate. I think what's interesting about this movie is that, well, it's sort of more of the journey of how he gets to become a little bit more like that, but it's showing him as a recluse. It's showing him actually like wrestling and dealing with his trauma in ways that are not admirable, Mm -hmm. Which yeah, I actually he's literally really bold. He literally, he's literally like caving himself in his big mansion there. Perhaps yeah. like a bat. Who knows? He's dealing with like insomnia. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Well, that's the yeah. thing is like because this movie's a bit darker, even darker than something like, you know, I think like the Nolan movies were dark when it came to the villains, but they weren't very dark when it came to the, the main characters, really, like the, the heroes. It was really just sort of the contrast between, I, you know, these saint like characters kind of becoming villains um like harvey dent and all that i don't know if i i think what you mean is that it's less it's more brooding this time as opposed to dark i think it's about maybe equally as dark 
Sure. Yeah, I feel it's about equally as dark as something like The Dark Knight, but it just has like more of like a. Well, I don't think I don't think Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight gets that dark though. He's not like depressed or moody. Like I'm talking about more of like Bruce Wayne himself, sort of being a bit unhinged. Yes, I I think we're saying that's what makes it darker. Right. Yeah, it's just that he's more of a angsty, brooding character in this one than he is in previous versions of the character. And that's kind of what this movie is about. it's sort of about how he has a lot in common with the villains of Gotham. Whereas in Dark Knight, it's about the contrast between, you know, the Dark Knight, the White Knight, yeah, the Joker, you know. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what I think is so effective about like the opening two scenes is that like, you know, like clearly, you know, one is fighting against crime. One's literally a criminal, but like they're both coming out of the shadows. They both have a lot of similarities. They both kind of hide and lurk and stalk away. And it's like that, like they're they're of a piece with each other, even if they're not quite the same. And yeah, I think that's really effectively communicated in the beginning of the film. I think so. I think the casting here is is excellent. I think that Robert Pattinson, I, I think that he just, I don't know. The, first of all, he has the jawline for it. I, I really love like just the look of this Batman. Like, I think he has like a really interesting face for the cowl, if that makes sense. Probably sounds a bit, I didn't want to objectify the man, but uh, I just think that like he, when I see him as Bruce Wayne, I see the trauma in his eyes. Like I see him actually struggling with what's going on here and I do love that Reeves and uh, so, so Reeves co-wrote this with Peter Craig, son of Sally Field. Um, you know, Peter, Craig, I think his next movie coming up is uh, Top Gun Maverick. He was a story writer on that. But I, I think that the way that they like kind of present this sort of Bruce Wayne as somebody who like, you know, Alfred comes around. Alfred here, played by Andy Serkis, uh, probably the least effective character for me in this movie. I, I just I think he comes off as a bit like you know, come and go, not that instrumental to the movie's DNA, honestly, but you know, he's, he basically tells Alfred, he's like, can you just go away? Like, just leave me alone. Like, you know, there, there isn't that sort of rapport we usually see. And it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like, Oh, we're doing something a little bit different. And I think we see him as Batman way more often in this movie, like very little Bruce Wayne, but, and here, here comes my, my biggest praise for this film. And I, I know, Will, I have complained so many times to you, not about Batman movies doing this, but about how people react to Batman movies. When people watch Batman movies, they always, always have to bring up, like, finally, a movie that understands that Batman is the world's greatest detective. And I'm like, can we please just, like, I don't care. Like, he's a detective in some of the comics. Okay, yeah, detective comics. Sometimes people call him the world's greatest detective. He's not. He's not a great detective. He never was. He's just sort of like, there's not that many Batman mysteries outside of the comics. And that's okay. Like, they, I don't know. I just think people get so hung up on that. And like, he'll do like, there'll be like one scene where he like figures out that a bullet came from this gun and people are like, oh my gosh, he's being a detective. I can't believe it. And I'm like, oh my, he's Batman. Like, calm down. Now this movie at the same time, does do this sort of thing where he is like a detective. He's actually trying to solve kind of a mystery. It's not like a a full-on mystery. Like they know the Riddler's doing it, okay. But like there is more sort of like a political conspiracy thing. It's a conspiracist movie. That stuff all works. But the thing that I like in this movie is that there is a good explanation for why Batman is such a genius. And it's not because he's just 
just because he's the world's greatest detective because he just is he's just that good he's rich it's because he's obsessed with crime like you can just sort of tell that it's, it's all he thinks about it's all he cares about he's just like obsessed with putting his mind into the criminals of gotham because he thinks that it's a way for him to uproot the the you know this disgusting dark system that took his parents away from him and that's why he is just able to come in and you know just sort of see a crime scene and understand things very like it comes out of obsession it doesn't come just out of like a magical ability that he just has in his tool belt does that make any sense yeah i mean it's also this kind of sense that he feels like he's owed something that like society hasn't really given him what he's due and that kind of feeds into some certain ideologies that have become more prevalent in uh, certain male-related groups. I think that's fair to say of late. Are you referring uh, to like the QAnon stuff or the? Sure, yeah, well, QAnon absolutely, but like kind of like this proud boy also mentality and stuff like that. Uh, I think that kind of feeds into this, and certainly it's like a big influence um, of, of this film. But uh, sure yeah, thing. I mean. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like, I think Paul Dano, uh, I agree that like, I, I think the villains have always been one of the standouts of the Batman movies. Obviously, Heath Ledger's The Joker is, you know, probably the most iconic performance that's come out of any comic book movie, arguably. But um, yeah, I mean, also like, I mean, Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker, even I think Tom Hardy's Bane has become a little bit more prevalent than people give him credit. And then also, like we mentioned, like Michelle Pfeiffer in uh, Batman Returns, he's you know, such an iconic character as well. And I think this movie recognizes that. And I think the villains themselves often get time to shine primarily because they hire a lot of great character actors to play them. I really was impressed by Paul Dano's performance and how he was able to make the character seem more distinct and more uh, differentiated from something that, you know, uh, what uh, Jim Carrey did in Batman Forever. Uh, obviously um but yeah even like you know colin farrell is just you know certainly more in the supporting character category but having a lot of fun i don't think he's ever going to really reach the same uh character heights as uh, dan devito's character in or version of the character in batman returns but i think he's a lot of fun he's very entertaining you know he's definitely hamming it up and you know under five pounds of makeup and he seems to be just relishing this whole part um, but yeah, I mean, I, I also even like, you know, John Turturro and uh, a few of the other supporting characters we get to see later on just really get the ham up as well. But as you mentioned, yeah. I think what was that? I have to I have to push back on uh, I, I think everything having to do with Falcone, I, I, John Turturro, all that stuff, I just don't think really works both. I thought the performance is good. I, I mean, maybe the very, character. Uh, um, yeah, no, I thought his performance is great. And I don't get what you're critical. I just of, I just didn't too. see a mob boss there. I just saw John Turturro, re, you know, reciting lines, and which it's John Turturro. I don't expect that from him because he's a fantastic actor. So yeah, I don't know. I think he was quite pretty seedy dude, and, I and the, yeah, in a way that felt like very cavalier, but also like clearly, like if you push him, he's going to be a gross and disturbing guy. And I thought he communicated that pretty well. I don't know what your problem is I th- here. I John Turturro is great. Cut something from the movie. I think if you're going to cut sure, I mean, the movie, you cut John Turturro. <laughs> if you're going to cut, like, I, just, I think I his character kind of, I think his character kind of does boggle the film down. If you really want to, like, figure out what needs to be action in the film, I think his stuff kind of, uh, you know, it, it does kind of get in the way. But I don't think that's a fault of his performance. I thought he did a great job with the part. I don't know why you're so critical of him. I just think, like, the, the performance great. doesn't, the performance just doesn't help. It's like, it's, like, not good enough to, like, really stick out anyway. And, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, anyway, I guess saying. we're just gonna have I think to Colin agree or disagree. Yeah, 
I, I think that Colin Farrell is, is much more memorable, much more of like when he's on the screen, I'm like, here we go. Yeah. Here is a Batman villin. Here, here is Take it somebody easy, who's like, actually like interested. Yeah. <laughs> Zoe Kravitz, I think is a terrific Catwoman. And like there, there are times in this yeah. movie where like she and she and Batman, like she and Pattinson, the, the chemistry between them, there, there were times when I thought they were going to like look at the audience and be like, do you mind? Like they want a little bit of privacy, you know, like it was just guess, like yeah. simmering. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty good. I mean, I just, if you compare it to like Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton, like they, they just like explode on the screen with their sexual chemistry. I thought heroes is kind of more, I, just, I know, think this I, is stronger. I think I it's more like two sided. I, so I, I would agree. Returns, it's a little bit like, more two sided. Keaton is kind of like, there's less chemistry. Yeah. Cause yeah. like, I think Keaton is, I, I just think it's a lot of it in returns. It's just sort of like Michelle Pfeiffer constantly just being overly sexual and Keaton's like, can you not? And to me, that's not really like strong chemistry like in this, where it's just like, oh my gosh, these two just want to kiss. I mean, they highlight it more, I guess, in Batman Returns, but I mean, I agree that there is kind of more of like the fact that they are contemporaries or like they're equals, I guess, in this film. I think that, you know, that's apparent. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they don't have chemistry. I just don't think it's quite as explosive as it is in Batman Returns. Uh, I'm the other way around on that one. What about Jeffrey Wright? I do think this oh, is good. a tough one for me because yeah. I think I think Gary Oldman was just like killer as Commissioner yes, Gordon. Course. It's such a hard, mm-hmm. it's so hard to top. I think J.K. Simmons, he tried, but it's just like, yeah, no, like it. you're J.K. Simmons. Uh, Jeffrey yeah. Wright, I think it, he's an interesting Gordon in this. Like, I don't think it's better necessarily, but I like how much he's in this. I like how he's mm-hmm. really instrumental to the plot in a way that kind of makes sense. Like they're helping each other out and they're kind of like, he's a bit of the angel on Batman's shoulder a little bit. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's great. And I, I yeah, I, I think it's maybe missing one or two things that like make it really stand out, but certainly like him, I think Pattinson, Kravitz and Wright, all three of them just delivering, you know, I, I, I can kind of take or leave Dano. I, I think that, uh, it's, a, it's good, but uh, you know, I, I didn't think the Riddler was that interesting of a character in this movie. And we really don't get a, enough of like what's going on with him until the end. And I would say the same thing about like Andy Serkis as Alfred. I, yeah. These, these, these like takes on the characters are fine. Like they, I don't know. They just don't have that same energy that I got from Kravitz and Wright and Batson, honestly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're maybe if we don't always agree on the particulars, I think we're kind of broadly in alignment in that uh, I do really enjoy Jeffrey Wright's portrayal of Gorin. It, it felt very reminiscent of um, Morgan Freeman's portrayal in um, uh, Seven. Obviously, I think, I mean, as I mentioned before, Fincher is probably the main creative catalysts here in the same way that Michael Mann is probably the big influence on Christopher Nolan's films for the Batman trilogy. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he really holds his own. I, I, I think he got the two things that you really need with Gordon, right? He has that wry and very dry sense of humor, which is always key to Gordon. And he, he can grow a really strong mustache, which is kind of like, you know, those are the yeah. cornerstones of his character. Uh, <laughs> and he got both those down quite well. Yeah. I, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. yeah. I, I just feel like good for, him. for me, for me, I feel like even when I really enjoy the performances, I guess the big issue is that I felt like outside of Dano's portrayal of the Riddler like none of these characters and none of these actors feel like the definitive version of these characters like when I think like they're all doing really good jobs and I think you know Pattinson's probably giving one of the better Batman performances but it feels like it doesn't like I don't think anyone's giving like the definitive like Colin Farrell isn't reached isn't like Danny DeVito in 
as a penguin in Batman Returns. Like, I don't think uh, Zoe Kravis is Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. Like, I don't think, you know, even like the penguin. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, or, yeah, I guess I already said the penguin, but. But that's yeah, the I thing. Like I think it would take yeah. time to even know that for sure. Like, I yeah, it's easy to say that yeah. right now. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't see any of them as definitive, but I think it's a definitive ensemble. Sure. You know, like, everyone told them all own. together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's more of like the power comes in them working off of each other than one of them singular being like, this is Catwoman. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah maybe that. not. But like, I think like in this world together with each other, it, I th- I do think there is something there that feels like really like valuable, you know, like, even if it's not like the absolute like end all be all sort of take on these characters. And mm-hmm. we've gotten them so many times. Of course they're not like, how could they be at this point? Like we've gotten so many times. Yeah. No, I get what you mean. Cause it's like, it's, there's no like weak link of the bunch. I feel like, I, I guess maybe if we disagree on John Turturro, but for me, it's not like there's no like Katie Holmes in Batman return or Batman begins for this, where it's like clearly like one of these actors isn't really holding their own compared to the others and kind of, you know, dragging this down a little bit. I feel like everyone is really doing pretty outstanding work. Even if I don't think anyone is like being the very best, like, batman or like, like i said i guess the only really exception might be riddler just because the only other portrayal we've gotten is uh jim carrey at least on in live action and i think he's good and i think it made sense why they cast him but it also feels like i don't know i don't, I don't think like i think back and like that's one of the great batman performances jim carrey and the rid as riddler and batman forever so he might take the cake in that respect but otherwise yeah yeah uh, i think this riddler certainly is more you know, I would take this Riddler seriously. I'll put it that way. This, yeah, this I think movie he does too, a great job. You know, yeah. This movie too, it, I, I do want to mention because Reeves clearly is like, he is soaking this thing in 70s noir. Like we mentioned a lot of like, okay, the, the David Fincher inspirations, the sort of Arkham and the comics and, and all of that is here. But I also think that he he also seemed to be a little bit inspired by how 2019's Joker sort of took like Martin Scorsese movies from the 70s and 80s and kind of just put Batman characters into that sort of like cinematic palette. And I think Reeves is kind of doing this a similar sort of thing here where he clearly he, he he's a clearly a big fan of like French Connection and Chinatown. And he's just sort of like from the voiceover narration to the fact that like Gotham, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, I almost gave something away, but Gotham rains so much in this movie. Like the rain is just oppressive. That's a lot. And I, I do think that there are times when it's a little much, like, I think that it, the style starts to be a little bit overbearing on, okay, well, what's the, what's the substance here? I, I was caring more about the substance and I, or I was wanting to care about the substance a little bit more than the noir trappings that we kept getting over and over again. But I, I have to say like this movie worked best for me when we literally just have, you know, Robert Pattinson, you know, he's not as Batman necessarily, but like, you know, riding his motorcycle through the rain, like trying to track people down and sort of us exploring Gotham with him and like discovering this place. That to me is when this movie found so much life for me, honestly. Um, But, you know, it, it certainly, by the time we get to the end of it, and this is my chief criticism of the film, it just goes on and on. And I just don't think the ending really lands. Like, I I think like where we see kind of where this thing goes, like there is a scene 
you know, toward the end involving two motorcycles. I do think it's, it's solid and everything, but like in terms of like the climax, like there are multiple climaxes and there's certain things that characters do. And, you know, there's some iconography and imagery that happens. And it just, you know, I, I to me, it felt like, yeah, the movie lost steam a little bit. And I was like, okay, I, I don't really, I, maybe I'd have to see the movie again to sort of get what Reeves and Craig were really going for here. Like what they were trying to say beyond the obvious, but yeah, that, that for me is why this is not the Batman movie. It's just sort of like a Batman movie that I liked. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as uh, the 70s and 80s influences that you're referring to, uh, I think they're obviously apparent, but I feel like similar to the Joker, they, they are done in a somewhat sort of superficial fashion. For me, like I said, like I feel like the 90s and 2000 influences were more what this movie was ultimately really drawing on. Obviously, like I said, with Fincher taking from seven and zodiac but also obviously clearly borrowing a lot from saw and obviously uh the dark knight itself it just felt like they were really taking those influences more than like the 70s like the idea the mindset of a 70s noir thriller and like you said chinatown being a big influence but in the sense that like yeah like we kind of just want to take those that mindset and apply it to these characters which i certainly admire more than you know them doing something without this much sour and this much thought put into this character of the, or these genres so right. i certainly applaud it but i just feel like it didn't really like reach those levels because i didn't feel like those elements were really seeped super deep into the film it just kind of felt like we're cribbing those stylistic choices into these comic book characters but yeah like exactly. you said like, i feel like yeah yeah but um, yeah, I mean, as far as the movie itself, I think the reason why it does really work is because it is really focusing on making Batman feel a little bit more fleshed out and really making him central to the film. I feel like so many Batman movies prior to this, even the better ones, have ultimately kind of made Batman a secondary character compared to the villains. I feel like what's really impressive about this film is that like those villains are able to be standout and flashy in many ways, but they don't really take away from Pattinson's performance, which I feel is really distinct and unique to this characterization. I think that was really crucial to, you know, answering that question of like, well, why do we need the two Batman over again? And it feels like the main answer was just that we really need to make Batman feel like a fully realized character in a unique way. And I feel like there are some avenues they could have explored with this character that would have been a little bit more rewarding. For instance, I feel like the fact that it is like year two Batman um, or like Batman second year, but taking from like the year one comics, I feel like they could have done a little bit more to like make him not as accomplished or not quite as skilled. For instance, there's one scene where, you know, we see Batman flying off of the um, tower, like getting away from the cops and detectives and he has his parachute that flies out but like kind of catches on the bridge and he like hits a truck and falls on the ground i was like i kind of like that stuff like it is a little bit spider-man-y but it feels like that is the kind of stuff this movie could use a little bit more of making batman a little bit more fallible in a way that i feel like this movie is kind of avoided and and, you know it's it's not in you know uh it doesn't ultimately hold the movie back too much because there's just a lot of really cool action scenes i feel like the action is even when it's kind of sparing, like they, they really pull a punch with making those action scenes as cool as possible. So it's, you know, it's kind of a give and take. Like I'm not really asking for the action scenes to be worse per se, but I also just kind of want Batman to feel a little bit more, like I said, fallible in this. But, you know, I think Pattinson really brings some decent vulnerability to the character. There's a little bit of a nerviness to this 
version of Batman that I was really excited to see when I heard that he was cast. And I think he does communicate that in really clear ways. But I agree that I think the ending is maybe a little bit too, I don't know if it's like too tidy or if it just doesn't have quite the same gusto as the earlier version, earlier drafts of the film or the earlier sequences of film. I mean, um, cause there is like a moment without giving anything away where it feels like a kind of clack, climactic moment and you like look at your i looked at my watch and i was just like oh wait yeah we still have to uh figure out the whole riddler thing so we still have like an hour to go (laughs) and that's the only real time i felt like the length of the film because it's just like okay yeah like we kind of got to a moment with this where it feels like we're wrapping this up but we still obviously have to get to you know the main villain of the the film it does kind of feel like riddler has to kind of be on the periphery for a lot of the like middle section stuff which i enjoyed watching but does make the movie i think ultimately a little bit messy in its execution but you know, I, I really just admire that Matt Reeves was able to flesh out both the character and the world of Gotham in this and really fun, interesting ways. I think that is a credit to the length of the film. Like he was able to let it breathe a little bit. It feels like we can really get like in this world, especially if you see it like in a theater like I did, like the Dolby, where it is very immersive and it feels very uh, breathed in and, and thoughtful in that execution. So overall, that's why I really did enjoy this film, despite a lot of its clear and glaring flaws. All right. Well, we, we've gone on way long, way long on this. Let's just uh, move on to the Rotten Tomatoes game. And I do think that, uh, yeah, I think we can kind of assume that the it's a Batman movie. A lot of people saw sure. it. We have 399 yep. reviews counted on Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody mm-hmm. reviewed this thing. I think when, like, when, when, sure. the, uh, when the embargo went up, like so many reviews dropped at the same time. That's just how it goes with these superhero movies. Everybody knows the, you know, the clicks are going to come if you do a review, I guess. But yeah, so what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is for this one, Will? What's your big guess? Uh, 89%? 86%. And it's pretty big okay. at this point. I don't see it moving very much at all from here the day we record this. But yeah, 86%. Certified fresh. That's quite high for any sort of comic book movie, particularly from DC. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, it's they, they've been on a roll between, you know, Suicide Squad and Zack Snyder's Justice League and Joker. Like, you know, yeah. I think I guess the, the big exception would be the Wonder Woman sequel. But yeah, they, they've just yeah. kind of they've been striking a chord I mean, with critics. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Joker obviously got pretty mixed reviews, but it it made an impression. You mean Academy Award winning nominated Joker? Or it did win, I guess, two awards. But yeah, Um, yeah, I mean, certainly one of the more divisive comic book movies to come out in the last few years. But I don't know. I do appreciate that that movie and and this movie are finally asking the question that we've been robbed of for so many Batman movies, which is that characters are finally going around asking, was... Thomas Wayne, an asshole. He really seems like he was an asshole. And we, we <laughs> kind of just let him off too good because he died in such a tragic way. But you know what? Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he, he's the had too good for to too that. long. I know. But I mean, yeah, like, cinematically, but, you know, we haven't gotten to that. Filmmakers haven't gotten to that as much. And it feels sure, like this sure, is a sure. long overdue like, it's a good thing conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, he wasn't that, maybe he wasn't that good of a this guy. Isn't, you know? Yeah. Well, this isn't 2005, you know, where you could just sort of be like, yeah, this billionaire was a saint and have everybody just believe that, <laughs> you know, like, uh, not everybody, but, you know, sure. I, surely I just think with it's, the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like this movie digs into it a little bit. And it's like the sins of the father and all that. And I think it's, you know, it's a positive progression. I think it's it makes Batman compelling as a cinematic character and something, obviously, like you said, the comics have explored, but worth exploring in film. All right. Too. All right. Yeah. 
What about the audience score? We, we haven't done that one yet. 10,000 plus verified ratings. Pretty high. It's got to be something like super high, like 97%. Actually, eighty nine percent. So you you oh. had the audience oh, score boy. in the <laughs> yeah, RT yeah. score. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, well. I think I do think that it probably has something to do with the length. I, I think you know people were like, yeah, I like this, but you know it's just too long. Or, and I I kind of like checked yeah. the the rotten mm-hmm. scores on Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't see a lot of people we know like friends. Of, I didn't see any friends of the show disliking it much. Yeah, no, I've seen mostly positive reviews. I've seen a couple people I follow definitely not digging it, but more positive than negative so far yeah yeah i mean um you know my editor at inverse didn't like it much david weigel kind of gave it a pretty low score i'm just kind of like looking at my letterbox right now um yeah aaron dicer uh you know friend of the show from sif pop he actually did he was kind of middle of the road on it so there there are some negative takes you know or like sort of like middling takes we can say um but okay what about the cinema score would you have a cinema score for the batman so it did play in wide release. Uh, what do you think the cinema score is? Was it uh, B plus? A minus. Okay. So quite good, quite good. Um, that that's pretty high for for cinema score. Or I shouldn't say pretty high. That's higher than I, I probably would have expected B plus, just because of the length and everything. But you know, people liked it. And then letterboxed. What do you think the letterboxed average rating is out of five? Uh, 3.6. This is the highest I think we've ever seen for Letterboxd while okay. checking the Letterboxd. Was it like 4.3? 4. 4. 4. Oh, 4.3. I was going to say 4.3. 4. 4. I've never seen it that high. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, I imagine it's going to go down a little bit uh, in the weeks to come just because I think like it's mostly, you know, I don't know. This has 319,000 logs. So like a lot of people have already. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um. Okay. That's the Batman. Long conversation, but it is a long movie. Let's transition into a movie very different, but with an actor from the same movie, although he's a bit more recognizable <laughs> in this one. After Yang, this is the latest film from Koganada. Koganada made a film called Columbus several years ago, which I think we talked about briefly on Cinemaholics. It starred Haley Lou Richardson, who's also in this movie after Yang. And it also starred, um, oh gosh, who else was in Columbus? Uh, was it, it was John Cho, wasn't it? And yeah, he was a lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Columbus, uh, just a, a terrific, sublime movie. And I, I didn't even know this movie was coming until Sundance, you know, it was sort of like, oh, after Yang, like literally we, we had a whole thing where I didn't, uh, I didn't plan to see after Yang because I thought this was like about like a documentary about Andrew Yang, <laughs> the, oh, really? the politician dude. And I was like, I don't care about who cares. And yeah. I think it was you or somebody was just like, no, John, this is Coconut's latest film. Right. <laughs> well, like, I, what? <laughs> I heard about I it panicking. when it was at Cannes, like the, the film festival, it, it got a big response there. Uh, and so that's when can. my, uh, can, you I can also can. say con con, you well, say cans, I say con and then you get mad at me and then I say cans and you get mad. At me. I don't I'm, know I'm what you want I'm giving you a little anymore. bit more flexibility cause you, cause well, it is can, but like, if you want to say con, you know, I was going to say con, if you're going to yell at me that, right? about this any more times, I'm just going to say <laughs> however I want. <laughs> I do remember, um, friend of the show, Emma Sassick from next Be- next best picture. She says con. Yes, but it's like it kind of she's also from well, she I think she's like doing more of the European pronunciation. Like if you're if it's, you're doing it like with an accent. Yeah, it's, it's like con, cinema. I, it's they say can. 
Anyway, Nick this is an A24 film. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this movie stars Colin Farrell, Jodie Turner-Smith, Justin H. Min, uh, Malia Emma, and I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly, but I think it's Jean Derwood. It's, it's very difficult for me to pronounce so i do apologize she's she plays the the young kid in this and uh, as i mentioned before Haley Lou richardson and so this is like a sci-fi drama it takes place in the future where families can have basically like yeah robots as sort of like siblings so if you have like an only child you can buy a robot to be like an older younger sibling or something like that and this family has that and it, it kind of opens with like you know almost like the the sort of modern family title card but with this modern family which uh it, it certainly is striking because you have you know colin farrell who is like a middle-aged white man you have jody turner smith who is the she's a black mother and then you have their daughter who is an adopted um uh, asian girl i think she's i think chinese maybe I, I, it's been a little while so i don't remember i think it was chinese and then they have a robot you know man who looks chinese but as a robot and that's just like oh this is the future you know like it's kind of you know establishing that this is definitely one of those movies like a, it reminded me a bit of claire denise high life like her vision of the future uh there have been a lot of sci-fi movies like this where you know like maybe annihilation to some extent too it's kind of merging the tech with like plant life there's a lot of vegetation there's a lot of you know it, it's it's kind of like blade runner but it's taking way more sort of uh you know just showing that like the future isn't all tech and chrome basically and the story here is that the the sibling played by justin h min the robot he breaks down and it looks like it's a very serious um issue you know it's not like just like dropping your phone and replacing a new one they can't seem to repair him and this is very difficult on the young girl because uh, her name is uh, mika and she is extremely distraught about this because she has such a strong connection to the robot whose name is yang hence after yang and so she's dealing with this and then colin farrell's character jake he's trying to find a way to repair this robot and along the way he starts to discover that maybe there there was something going on with yang like yang had sort of like this life that he had no idea about and we kind of just go on this sort of like existential journey with these characters grappling with the loss of this robotic sibling a very beautiful movie i i, I think after yang is it's a very melodic you know there's a lot of melancholy it's also very minimal as a film which you can you can kind of expect from koganada i do think that i prefer columbus over this one and you know as a whole uh, mainly because I think this movie kind of goes on a little bit past where it probably arguably needs to. Uh, but yeah, this is a very strong film, very beautiful film. Um, it's a bit of a gem. What do you, what do you think of this one, though? Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually just saw Coconata's first film, Columbus, last year. They previewed it as like a test film for uh, the Sundance site. And that was my first way of seeing it. And I was really taken by it as well. I mean, I don't think I was quite as moved by it as some folks were when it had initially premiered. But I could definitely see why Koganada, you know, having also proven himself as a film video essayist and an editor and as a film critic prior to this, like he clearly has, uh, you know, such a deep love for thoughtful, nuanced uh, cinema. And I, I think... 
I would actually prefer this movie over Columbus because it feels like a proper extension from what I want uh, from a filmmaker's sophomore film. It, it feels like there's a lot more care put into expanding the world, making it feel a little bit more distinct. And clearly, like he has such a love for like architecture and environments and creating different spaces that that feel like he said both distinct and angular, but also very sort of minimalist and uh, refrained. And his use of cameras, uh, placement and staging, and also just clear uh, ways that like locations can feel both not intrusive, but also very clear and present to the plot or just something that I really admire from him. But with this one, it feels like I feel like the characters were a little bit more distinct and well-rounded. I definitely felt like there was a lot more uh, a distinction, I guess, between like where he was taking these characters and where he was taking them. Maybe I, I just need to see Columbus again, but um, yeah, I just I felt it was a proper and true extension of his craft, and I, I feel like this was maybe if if not the best film, certainly one of the best films that we saw at Sundance this year. It's quite good, and I think I think one of the secret ingredients, and not a secret ingredient really, I, I think it's the title character. I think my favorite mo- moments in this movie come from Justin H. Min's performance, and he clearly has the most interesting character here. I think where we have him just sort of like having uh, through through memories too. Like we don't engage with him much in the film, sort of like real time, like the present day. We experience a lot of him through other people's perspectives. But it's it's a unique movie in sort of discovering a character not through their eyes, but through other people's eyes. It's it's just really terrific writing. And I think, you know, you kind of mentioned Coconata's bona fides. I think one of the reasons this movie and Columbus in particular feel just so complete as films is just because like he's directing them, he's writing them, and he's editing them. And that's something that I think he just like he clearly like has such a it just reminds me of somebody who's just well crafting something from scratch, just putting it all together themselves. It's just like it's so funny. We're talking about this right after the Batman, you know, and I'm not hating on Matt Reeves at all. Um, But I just think it's a totally different filmmaking approach. It's not better. You know, it's not inherently like, oh, you always have to make movies this way. But I do love the, you know, the way that like a director can make a film completely differently from somebody else, you know, have, have one of the same actors, but it has this sort of like artisanal sort of like, you know, craftsmanship here going on that uh, I just really enjoy. If I had one issue with the movie, I kind of touched on it a bit. It is a little bit of the pacing. I, I do think that the structure of this thing kind of gets away. Like I know I was praising the editing, but I do think there are some scenes I think Coconut maybe was a little bit too precious with because they're good scenes. They're very thoughtful. And I think that uh, th- there might have been some that, you know, kind of overstay their welcome a little bit. But it's not a huge criticism because I think even with all of this put together, there, yeah, there's just so much humanity and family and uh, there's just something so sincere about this movie that, yeah, I was certainly arrested by it. Um, and I'm, I'm still in jail. I'm in, I'm in, in I, you know, I'm living rent free in this movie's prison. Um, but yeah, I, I, I quite, I quite liked it a bit. What, what do you think though? I mean, I know there were some other criticisms floating around with this movie. I think some people were just kind of saying like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a bit slow. You know, another way to say that they didn't love the pacing of this. But what do you think of that? Um, yeah, the the pacing of it didn't quite bother me as much just because it's deliberately meant to be a very meditative and melancholy sort of film. Though, uh, to your point about it being kind of precious about the uh, scenes and the, the way that they kind of draw out, that's why I'm kind of curious to know 
what the the version of the film was at Cannes or Cons or wherever we were going to pronounce it now, uh, because Can. I guess apparently the um, the original version of the film it was a little bit more like that, maybe even a little bit more lethargic. And I guess they kind of tightened it up a little bit, and I'm curious to know what the differences are. But really, I didn't mind it that well, much. I think, um, if I can yeah. step in. I think I think the director people were kind of comparing it unfavorably to it was like it feels a little bit too much like David Lowry. Um, but I think that okay. was something I saw coming out of Cannes. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really get that vibe. The only thing I'd say as far as like the pacing of it is that I do kind of wish it had some of the more kind of quirky goofiness that we saw on the opening title cards with the dance sequence. Like I kind of felt like they there had a little bit more opportunities to lean into like the goofiness of it. And they ultimately stayed away from that and, and the interest of making it kind of more like subdued and, uh, you know, a little bit more tonally a piece. And I don't know, I think that the, some of those weird little touches would have made it a little bit more distinctive, I guess. And I think that might be one reason why this movie hasn't stuck with me as much as I hoped it would have after seeing it from Sundance. Because when, when it ended, I was like, that's clearly like the best film I saw here. But as the, the weeks have gone by, it hasn't really like wrestled with me as much as I was hoping it would. But at the same time, like what I do think back on, just like that was like a nice warm blank of a film and then when we reviewed uh swan song the maharsha ali movie that was another film that like clearly is a sci-fi film but it's meant to be a little bit more character focus and a little bit more like yeah, uh, more grounded yeah grounded minimalist and it felt like that worked fine but didn't quite capture what i wanted from a film like this and having seen after yang shortly thereafter it was like okay it, it's not so much that like i think that movie's doing poorly i just couldn't really communicate like i felt like this was like what I wanted from that type of film, that type of vibe. It felt like uh, Koganada had just clearly captured that a little bit better. And I'm not to say that, you know, uh, Benjamin Cleary isn't accomplished. That was clearly his first film, but it just felt like this had captured that mood and vibe with, like you said, a little bit more style, a little bit more nuance and, and depth, I think ultimately was found in Swan Song. But uh, yeah, at the same time, yes, I, I, I really just appreciate what this movie has to say about the, the depths of humanity and the, the way that the life can be fairly cyclical. And, and there's obviously something very sad and melancholy about, but there's obviously a lot of great beauty that comes from that at the same time. We just kind of have to hold on to those because that's really what we have to value is just like the, the, what we take from people, even if they're not even fully human. And that's just a, it's a very soft, lyrical, sweet film in that way. And I think that it captures that very sweetly and, and very distinctly and, and something that makes me very excited to see where Coconut is going to go next to the filmmaker. I would agree with that. I think that he is with this movie more so than his last. He is clearly like somebody who loves like Tarkovsky, you know, and, and, you know, I was definitely thinking of this hilarious while watching this quite a bit. And uh, more than Blade Runner, I think, you know, there, there's an easy way to kind of come in this and be like, all right, we have the whole Blade Runner thing. We have the whole idea of like, are these androids? And like, you know, there's even a little bit of play with like, you know, who's real, who's human and all of that. I think that's where this movie is at its least interesting. I think it's at its most interesting when it's kind of getting into the Solaris mode where, I don't know, there, there was just something kind of I, something kind of light about this movie, like almost sort of like a, a sense of humor, like a very dry sense of humor, but none, one nonetheless. There's just, it's not treating everything so bleak. And I think that's why I enjoyed it. And I, I had a moment in this film too, where I was kind of like, this feels like, you know, I was thinking about the, the artist Mitski, 
you know, who I, I love her music. And I was kind of like, oh, this is like a, are they gonna, this feels like a Mitski song of a movie. And then they literally played a song by Mitski in the movie. And I was like, okay, like clearly Kogodot is like, I don't know. It just, it feels very deliberate, I guess. Um, it, it's that kind of vibe, this sort of like you said, like lyrical, melodical, you know, and it, just this very sweet and tender, humanistic, sort of a beautiful little movie. And yeah, I, I called it a gem earlier. And I, I, I do think it's one of those movies because I agree. I don't think it's going to stick with people like very much. Like I think they're going to, it's, they're going to meditate on it. Sure. And it's, it's a meditative movie and everything, but, uh, and I think that it's atmosphere, it's, it's very cozy, it's very calming, but I do think that it's, it's a, it's a gem in the sense that, yeah, like when you look back on it, you're just going to have like that memory of like, yeah, that was a really sweet movie. It may not be one that you like immediately think of all the time. I I had forgotten about it and I wasn't even, you know, per, you know, thinking we were going to talk about it anytime soon, but here it is. Yeah. A24 just kind of, A24 dropping a lot of their movies this month, uh, for the whole year, which is kind of strange, but another conversation. And I, I don't think that they expect much from this movie beyond like critical, you know, love and stuff like that. Like it's clearly not going to be like, a, it's, it's an art house film. We know we know what the deal is with art house films, right? So, <laughs> in that sense, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good one. But all right, um, I think we both said everything we want to say, right? Do you have anything else before we go right to the Rotten Tomatoes game? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree that like it is definitely like a primo art house movie, but that's why I just find it so disappointing that A twenty four made the effort to just basically dump it onto Showtime and gave it a very limited the actual run it's the same issue that they gave with uh the humans i i know it's like some deal they have with showtime and that's fine i mean like i get that you know it's part of what their deal is but just it's it was just frustrating to me that they just basically uh saw this movie's theatrical life you know in in it, more than half like they just didn't even i don't even know how many theaters even went to probably less than uh 10 and it's just you know i felt like this yeah, really could have been like, some coastal ones here yeah. in LA. Yeah, and just I don't know. I just feel like this would have been such a great theatrical experience to really get like immersed in it in such a, uh, a you know profound and meaningful way. And it just felt like a twenty four, you know, a company that you know prided itself on being like we're going to take movies that don't often go outside the art house and we're going to give them wide and big releases. Like they didn't even put this in art house theaters, and I don't know. Just felt like a great shame to me. Yeah, I'm I'm only seeing it in one theater anywhere near here and it's 31 miles away it's not even in san francisco it's in uh albany twin albany california i don't even know what that is but it's like a landmark theater yeah this feels like such a san francisco type film too which is you know what uh yeah that's surprising i wonder well you know what i'm gonna double check i mean maybe maybe it is playing in san francisco just not showing up you know um that is weird like there are a few theaters there that i was absolutely expected in maybe maybe it's coming though I don't, know. I, mean, I don't know for sure. I mean, the only yeah. San Francisco theater that I know about is the Roxy. And it seems like it would have made a good theater experience there based on what you've told me about it. So, um, it's, I don't, it wouldn't, I don't think it would play at the Roxy. The Roxy is a bit more of a specialty theater. I think it would be playing more at, uh, the landmark Embarcadero. Like okay. that, that tends to have a lot of these kinds of a 24 movies. That's where I've I seen a you. lot of films okay. like uh, from a 24, you know, like, Fair. and, uh, Hey, David, I saw a ghost story there and stuff like that. But okay, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game after Yang. And uh, I forgot to say the runtime, an hour, 41 minutes. Pretty, pretty typical. Sure. Now, what do you think this, uh, the RT score is going to be? We have 155 reviews counted. Good number. A lot of them, I'm sure, coming out of Cannes and Sundance. Uh, but yeah, what do you think the score is? Uh, 94. 
87 percent yeah it's a little bit lower yeah different different from uh last time where you were a little bit too high this one you're a little bit too low or wait you you mix it up scratch it reverse other way around other way around (laughs) no because the last because actually no i have that wrong batman you were higher and then but it was lower same thing with this one never mind yeah there you go i said that um yeah there are there aren't a lot of rotten reviews uh, there was only one from the critic that i i recognize like a friend of the show may abdulbaki she didn't she didn't like this movie as much um she did her review i think for screen rant hmm. um but yeah most most people in our in our little circle they, they, yeah. they seem to like this one uh audience score though 50 plus ratings what do you think uh 72 percent Ooh, 73 percent. so close oh boy well done though Thanks. Very close. Very close. Um, yeah, I'm kind of peeking a little bit of like on my letterbox too to see if there's anybody who is pretty low on it. And I'm not really seeing, I mean, I mean I'm seeing Corey Everett, uh, who used to write for the playlist. He made it a game, uh, cinephile that we played on the show once. Oh, oh yeah. you weren't there for that though. That was not, uh, he was kind of low on it, hmm. but that's it. I'm not seeing anything below three and a half stars from the rest of my letterbox people. I follow in letterbox. So that's cool. What's the letterbox um, for? Um, all right. Yeah, the time to guess. So your guess is 3.8. It's 4.0. Oh, wow. We're on quite a roll so far. Two pretty fresh movies across Mm -hmm. the board. Uh, I I doubt this has a cinema score. I was going to (laughs) say. I'll double check. Uh, Yeah, no, no cinema score. But yeah, that's after Yang. And after Yang, what do we talk about next? Are we talking about... Speaking of movies that are fresh. Fresh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fresh. It's a, a new black comedy thriller directed by Mimi Cave. Her first film, uh, it was written by Lauren Kahn. Are, are you familiar at all with, with Mimi Cave? Uh, I, I'm not as familiar myself. I'm looking uh, up her stuff right now. Did she do like music videos and stuff before this? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I really I'm don't know. I'm looking her up right now and I'm just seeing short films. Uh, something called I'm Happy, I Promise from 2019. She made something called Vessel, uh, another short film. Uh, that one's from 2015. And then Now, Not Yet in Fluorescence, which looks like a 26-minute a kind of musical documentary. So yeah, maybe music videos and stuff like that. So that's Mimi Cave. Um, it says here she is Chicago-based. Um, you're okay. right, yeah. She created music videos for artists such as Sleigh Bells and Vance Joy. I mean, so, this I like film, it's not... You know, this isn't like a de- the detriment of it. It did feel very much like mm-hmm. a film that a music video director would make. Uh, in in some ways really? good, some ways bad. Yeah, I feel so. Okay, okay. It's very flashy. We'll, we'll, we'll it's get very, to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, first, what is this movie? Fresh. Uh, this is another movie that we saw at Sundance, and it is. Whew, oh boy, was it a midnight selection at Sundance? Yeah, because I saw like I want to say there, that if not midnight, like midnight adjacent. It was the first movie I saw at Sundance, Sundance proper, and it was midnight for them because mm. I remember like I had to see it after work at like 2 a.m. or something crazy like that. So uh, I felt mm. kind of delirious by the end of it. And I think that was just because of my lack of sleep. <laughs> but uh, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I think it added to my enjoyment. Probably that's probably why they put it as a midnight selection. 
Sure, sure. So uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier in the show, actually, but Searchlight Pictures, which is under Disney, they actually acquired the film uh, right before the festival. So yeah, as you already mentioned, this is kind of always destined to be dropped on Hulu, and here it is now. And so this movie stars Sebastian Stan. He's the big, you know, the big recognizable name, of course, big, big actor, you know, because of the Marvel movies, especially. But we, we've seen him in some things, I think, the last few years, uh, last year, two years, actually, that have been... I think have overshadowed for me that sort of baggage. I know people liked him in like Itania and all that, but, um, and I, I don't think people are loving Pam and Tommy, but Monday was really a lovely movie. I, I really liked Monday. Like that, yeah. that was a movie that I was like, man, this guy has got something going on. I would agree. I wouldn't call it lovely, but I agree that I think that movie didn't get its full due. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought he was it terrific was, in that was pretty film. pretty sick. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think your heart's the right place. I don't know if the words are quite collaborating with you for this one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah got to bring the thesaurus out or something, right? But yeah, no, I think I think he's. I really enjoyed him in Itania. It's Itania is a movie I love, but I thought he was really terrific in it. And I also thought Marco Roby was great in that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel like Good that. He's, yeah, oh. he he, mm-hmm. he seems to be the one. Maybe outside of um, Mark Ruffalo, the one. Uh, Marvel actor who's really just like using his fame to make some really kind of outlandish off the wall movies. Yeah. Like he's going to use his fame to get some movies that may not get off the ground otherwise into the ether. A little bit. I, I, mean, I don't know. He's done. Yeah. He's done a couple stinkers. He did endings, beginnings, which sure. yikes. I didn't see that. One, that was a but, pretty bad movie. Yeah. Um, good for you. <laughs> I'm quite, quite jealous. He also made the, he was also in the devil all the time. I think that one, I, that one was quite good. I thought, but he wasn't a big presence in it. Um, he was also in the three, five, five most recently, which, uh, Oh honey. Um, his next film was called sharper, which, uh, it's kind of like a thriller. I hope that is kind of more in this vein with like fresh and Monday, those two movies that I think are really, I don't know. They, they're movies that I think understand that this guy is kind of terrifying, and he has like a chaos energy that is really like enwrapping. But anyway, this movie also stars Daisy Edgar Jones, who I'm more familiar with than you, I believe, because she played one of the main characters in a show that is extremely important to me and friend of the show, Julia Tatey. It's one that we still talk about, even though it came out a while ago. Uh, Normal People, which also Hulu. And because uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you never really got into Normal People, right? Never saw it. Never read the book either. Right, right. I think we recently talked, and I think I invoked the film recently when we were talking about The Lost Daughter, because we had the uh, Daisy Edgar Jones co-lead from Normal People, Paul Mezcal. He was sure. in Lost Daughter. Much lower, you know, not much of a presence compared to this movie, where Daisy Edgar Jones, I think, is kind of like, this is kind of like a little bit of like a, hey, you know, she was really good in Normal People. She's a very young actress, um, Irish actress. And it's kind of looking like, you know, people in Hollywood are being like, okay, is she going to be like the next kind of like, is she going to kind of break out a little bit? I think they're kind of testing things. She's going to be in Where the Crawdads Sing, which is a pretty high profile book adaptation um, that she's going to be starring in with uh, Harris Dickinson, David Strathairn, and a few other people. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little curious about like this, this actress, like she's quite good. And uh, this is a kind of a a sick movie and we're going to kind of have to give a couple of things away with this movie. Can I, can I kind of like put something out there? Like if, if you're what, if you're listening right now and you don't know what fresh is about, right. 
maybe you're like kind of vaguely interested. You're like, okay, so it's kind of a Sundance midnight feature. Um, all, all I want to say before I tell you to like, maybe, maybe pause, you know, maybe, maybe go see the movie or at least see part of the movie and come back, whatever you want to do. All I'll say is it's, it starts off with, uh, this young woman played by Daisy Edgar Jones, who, you know, she's struggling with online dating and she kind of meets like is a guy that she kind of clicks with and she doesn't meet him online. She meets him in person. And there's like a little bit of an energy there. And she's kind of trying to figure out like, is this, is this going somewhere? Is this, is this the real thing? That's all I'm going to say before I, I tell you if like, if you're interested in this movie I, I, and we'll, maybe we can give our stamp of approvals early. I know you wrote the review for Cinemaholics. I like this movie quite a bit. I don't think it's amazing. Uh, I don't think it's like fantastic, but it was definitely one of the Sundance films that uh, I remember quite well and I enjoyed quite thoroughly <laughs> in a kind of a, not an ironic way, but in a kind of a guilty, almost a guilty pleasure way, but not really. But uh, what about you? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so I saw someone on Letterboxd I follow or someone who I follow liked the review that said something that felt very true to me, which is that it's a type of film that feels like it's made for the first festival audience that sees it. And I, I think that's kind of true. Like it, it's a type of film where it's like it has such an explosive premise. And if you go into it fairly cold and you don't really know what to expect, it's probably the most rewarding way to see it because you're just like, whoa, like where it's going to go from here. Right. It's going to get very goofy. That's why and- I want to preserve it. <laughs> right. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't think it's like a film that really lasts, I guess, in that respect. Not so much like After Yang, where it's like you said, like. That's a film that I think is really sort of precious. And then, like, even if it, you don't think about it a lot, you, you really, like, harvest that memory. And you're just like, that was, like, a really sweet, lovely movie. This is more like a flash in the pan sort of thing. Or when you're watching it, it's kind of uh-huh. fun and exhilarating. And it, it's enjoyable. But, like, afterwards, you're not really like, man, that movie really pulled it off. Like, it's sort of the type of yeah. film where it's it gonna, has... Yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just like, it has, like, a very it, clear... It's going to... It's going to come in handy for like Sebastian Stan trivia night, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it just feels like it, it has a very clear metaphor. It, it, it pulls it off in a very sort of like style heavy way. And it's not style over substance per se, but just, it feels like very much like it, it's a lot of flashy tricks that you're just, you're seeing and it doesn't really, it, it kind of excuses the fact that there's not a ton of meat on its bones uh you know not to really make a pun of the 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 film's uh plot but yeah i, I think that's where i kind of get the uh, the vibe of like this feels like a movie that was made by a music video director like it's clear like she has style you want to see where she's going to go later but just doesn't feel like this script is super fleshed out uh sorry for the uh, all the oh unintended gosh. puns here you're giving away stuff well <laughs> but okay okay we've kind of caveated it a bit and i think in, i think in a decent way this is your last shot. If you still have no idea what's going on here, good good luck. I think it's been kind of hard to keep a lid on it, but let, we're going to kind of open things up a little bit. We're not going to give away spoilers or anything like that, but like stuff that happens like the first act and all that. So don't worry. But yes, there is a moment in this movie where the shoe drops. <laughs> and, you know, obviously like Cave and the screenwriter, they're clearly building up to something here. They're clearly being like, okay, there's something uneasy going on in this romantic drama where it's like, you know, our main character, she just wants to find love and here's this guy, but you know, is it going to work out? He's a bit mysterious, but like, you know, within the context of Sundance and it's a midnight selection, we kind of know something's going to go wrong. Like it's not like a big surprise. Sure. And yes, we do get to that point. 
And for me, I don't know about you, Will, I kind of knew this was going to be, and I'll just say it, it's a cannibal movie. <laughs> and I I knew that already. I, I feel like people were kind of surprised by it, but like the synopsis I did read. And the synopsis isn't that coy about it, right? Like sure. it says I, like, oh, the guy has some like mm-hmm. appetites or whatever. And like, okay, so right. it's a cannibal. It's called Fresh. Right. I, so is that going to be what yeah. it is? I, um, I didn't read about it going into it but i remember when they announced that it was going to hulu i was talking about a friend like hey like he's really in the horror films and i was like hey here's some like horror movies that you might want to keep on your radar that i'm seeing and i mentioned fresh he's like oh i think i heard something about that is that the cannibal movie and i was like i don't know but then like when he mentioned that and i kind of heard like what i had vaguely heard about the film I was like oh that makes a lot of sense it's probably a cannibal movie then and then sure enough i think probably the highlight of the movie is that 30 minute needle drop where like you see the title card and it's yeah. just like that's probably like the high of the film where it's just like you see that and it's like is this movie going to be like amazing uh and after that i think it, it, it never <laughs> quite like falters like the third act isn't great but it never quite falters but it doesn't really quite reach that height like once you get to that moment it's just like you know it's obviously like dropping that title card like 30 minutes into a movie that's such a bold thing to do and if you can pull that off, yeah. you know, like that's like, all right, like I'm seated. I'm gonna I see what this is gonna. What was that? What was that? I think I think she does pull it off. I, I and you know yeah. what? I'm gonna say I, I think I think this movie wins out because um, I, I get what you're saying. For me, it doesn't falter. I, I, I agree, it doesn't falter. But like, I think where it comes through for me is that just oh, I love these performances. I just I was drinking in these performances because. I think Daisy Edgar Jones, the way that she holds her own against Sebastian Stan in this movie, like the combination of like dread and sort of like thinking on the fly, trying to, you know, showing empathy for other people in this situation, because that's something I wasn't expecting was like, there's something more expansive going on here. And the movie did keep surprising me in other ways beyond this being a cannibal movie. So I don't want people to think like, oh, we've given, there's no surprises left in store. That's certainly not the case. But certainly these two together, when I'm seeing them sort of bounce off each other and sort of like go toe to toe, and it's weirdly maybe deliriously i think you used the word delirious in your review romantic i i was just like there's something kind of cool going on here i don't think it's like a movie that yeah it's it's so specific it's something that's so hard to recommend to people beyond like people who just like a good old horror kind of thriller sort of thing it's it's an easy recommend there but i'll just say it again i think this is a stepping stone for both of these actors i think stan has proven himself quite a bit already sure but i think in terms of like both of these actors doing like really interesting projects like they're doing really interesting stuff here on just on a drama level because it's not a movie where a ton of stuff happens necessarily like yeah okay okay, stuff does happen but like you know it's it's not like a an action spectacle or anything like that it's not just like and then this and this and this location this it's just sort of like the drama between these two characters reckoning with something horrific that's where i found like the beating heart of this film i'm not even intending these puns but you know (laughs) Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think this, this one is quite good. I can't believe Adam McKay produced it. When I saw that, I was kind of like, wait, really? I thought that like, made he's sense. He's a co-producer? Okay. Yeah, it made sense. It, really? it seems like something. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of a goofy... I was also surprised Pavel, the... Pavel Porgorzelski, the That's incredible what... cinematographer, Surprised director me. of Cold War, I was like, he did this? Okay. Yeah. Uh, little... Wait, he, he directs Cold War? Cold War? 
Um, or no, I'm mixing up my Pavels, am I? I was going to say, know. yeah, I think you're thinking of two um, different did, people there. Uh, he's, no, I'm talking, yeah, he's a cinematographer of Midsummer, Hereditary, right. and Nobody, That's and true. all of that. I'm thinking yeah. of, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a different Pavel who directed yeah, Cold War. Excuse you me. goof. Yeah, you're not, not the guy who made Ida. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I agree. I, I think that was, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, not, uh, that was the one thing I think that surprised me the most was just like, oh man, like, you know, this movie's looking pretty good. I wonder who shot this. And you see him, it's like, they got that guy to shoot this movie. And I thought the editing was also nice. really strong too. Uh, I think it was a guy that did wild. Well, I um, imagine he, he yeah. probably did some music videos and you know, that's probably where they know each other. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, in terms of like the, like the, the, the craft of it, I think it's slick and pretty well put together. But it is, like I said, sort of a flashy film in that respect. Like I feel like it, the, the thing that really holds it back is I just don't really think the script really dives into this that much deeper. And I get that it's not like really wanting to. It's mostly just supposed to be like a kind of like outrageous, uh, farcical sort of film. But I felt like there was more avenues to really make this, you know, a little bit deeper, a little bit smarter than what it really is. But at the same time, like you said, I think where I really could see this going uh it, culturally is that it, it finally makes people realize that like Sebastian Stan can do some really wild and goofy things as an actor. I feel like most people, if they know him, it's probably from, you know, playing uh, the winter soldier in the Marvel movies and that role, he doesn't really like it a mm-hmm. lot to do. I never watched the, the Disney plus show, but I heard that was a bit of a bust as well. And, you know, like people, yeah, like, he's he, just kind of like a, yeah, he's yeah. a bit of a statue in those movies. Right. Yeah, you know, he's just kind of a chiseled face. And, you know, he's, and I feel like that's why he seeks these type of roles out because it feels like he has to kind of have like a stiff upper lip for like, you know, Marvel for six months shooting these big blockbusters. So when he can finally do like a movie like Monday, do a movie like Fresh, he, you know, he eats it up, uh, not make another pun just because right. like he's like, yeah, finally, I can, you know, get goofy. I can be fun. I can be, like, kind of menacing. I can, that seems fun for me as an actor. And I feel like he, you know, I, I would hope, because I imagine his time with Marvel is kind of wrapping up, especially with Chris Evans' uh, Captain America tenure uh, ending. I, like I said, I didn't see that show, so I don't know. Maybe they're setting up 12 movies with him and that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I feel like he's kind of moving away from his uh, Marvel contract and probably for the better in this case because... You know, he, he is a bit of a name now. He has some clout, but he's not like a superstar. So he doesn't have like a quiet image to protect, but he has one that he can mold. And it feels like, you know, like a movie sure. like this can get more eyes because like they see it's on streaming. It's like, oh, Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier. I'll check it out. And you see him like this. And, you know, obviously these probably these people probably haven't seen Monday or even maybe even the devil all the time. Or I don't know, maybe they even didn't even see I, Tanya. But they see a movie like this and it's like, oh, like I didn't realize Sebastian Stan had this in him. And, you know, hopefully he, you know, pushes that and, and does more roles like this, because I think that's where it's probably most exhilarating for me. Like I said, is those performances. Mm. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I, th- I think like if he does keep doing some Marvel stuff, it's, yeah, it's going to be in the periphery. It's going to be like little bit roles, you know, like maybe he'll show up in like another Falcon Winter Soldier show or something, you know, like nothing. I, I just don't think that he's going to be like a mainstay. I think that they're trying to push the Marvel movies into like a totally new like direction, totally new characters and all of that, which I think is great for him because, yeah, I, th- I think he's kind of written that out like a lot farther than, you know, 
necessary. Um, I don't don't know if necessary the right word, but like as anybody probably wants, I agree with you completely. I think that, yeah, his more interesting work is ahead of him. Um, And this is just like a nice little, like, yeah, proof, uh, another like proving ground for him to show that like, yeah, this guy's got something awesome going on. I I remember I saw somebody's review, I think around when Sundance happened, they were just like, man, Sebastian Stan is doing a mean army hammer impersonation. (laughs) It's really great. Um, So, and I know I, I am curious where you land on Daisy Edgar Jones, because I'm, I'm certainly like quite happy with, you know, I, I was really looking forward to how she was going to be able to, you know, do this. Like, is she going to sort of like, you know, go beyond normal people, which normal people is a very like, you know, it, it's not a guilty pleasure, but it's it, it's kind of like a a romantic kind of soothing very like low stakes, but, you know, not emotionally, um, kind of show. And she's very interesting in it. And I was like, okay, is she going to transition well to, I guess not the big screen, but to like this kind of streaming movie. And I, I think so. I think she's kind of low key terrific in this and she's very young. I think she's certainly like, well, you know, certainly like well prepared for more roles like this. Where did you land on her? Yeah, I mean, I don't like. Uh, unlike Sebastian Sand, I can't really compare her, her work in this to her previous work because I haven't seen Normal People, and I'm not quite sure what she has done before this. But as far as just her performance in this film, I thought she was able to channel it really well. I think she's kind of like the emotional anchor of the film because she, you know, obviously is like our uh, eyes looking in. She's like the stable, you know, rational-minded person watching all of this insanity unfold, and she plays that part well but i mean you know I'd, I'd be more curious to see what she does next like i don't feel like this is a defining role for her but it does feel like a great like you said sort of stepping stone for her so i can respect that now there are a few friends of the show who didn't like it as much you know i was kind of i'm getting a little ahead i guess but like you know i kind of I, I peaked at the letterbox most of the ratings i'm seeing are like you know like three stars maybe three and a half you know isaac feldberg gave it three a uh, friend of the show, you know, I saw Emma Sasek, who we mentioned earlier, she gave it three stars. A few people were lower, like uh, Wen Lei, who I uh, hope to have him on Cinemaholics eventually, but um, great writer for the young folks and plenty of other places. He gave it two and a half stars, and, you know, I was a little sad to see it. I, I saw Robert Daniels gave it, like, half a star and just, like, ripped into this movie. Really did not care for it. And I, I think, like, uh, I know his chief criticism was just like, it's all flash, no substance. And I guess you kind of touched a little bit on that criticism, which I, I certainly agree. Like, I, I don't think it's like a substantive film necessarily. Like, I don't think it's very deep, I think is what you said. But like, I don't know. To me, it's like, is that the worst thing? You know, can, isn't it okay for some movies to just sort of be like this? Is this, I don't know if this is camp. Like, it has like a little bit of like a campy vibe at times, but like, I don't know. I just think this movie's goofy. Like, I, I think it's I, wild yeah. and ridiculous. And yeah, it's pop entertainment. But yeah, I wouldn't call it camp per se. I think it tries to be camp at times, but I don't think it's quite there. Yeah. And I guess that's fine. So I I, I think I think that's the key is to like go into it, just sort of like manage your expectations. You know, I think there's a real there's a really good dual performance here, in my opinion. But yeah, you're not going to get like a very like deep, interesting movie. It's the anti after Yang, I suppose. I can't imagine like watching after Yang and uh, this movie back to back like that'd be kind of wild. Imagine watching the Batman, then after Yang, then fresh. 
<laughs> what a cinematic, you know, carousel you're like putting yourself on if you're doing that. Um, but power to you, I guess. That'd be a fun, like the Cinemaholics challenge. It's like a triple feature. It's just like the most chaotic triple feature of all time. But yeah, that's that's about all I have for, for Fresh. Any last thoughts on it before we move on to the Rotten Tomatoes game? Uh, no, I guess not. Like I said, I mean, the only thing I would really highlight is just the editing, which I was getting ready to compliment. I think at one point I thought that was really That's key good. to this movie being yeah. so sharp and slick and something that I think really helped, uh, you know, elevate this movie to be a really enjoyable romp. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think we've kind of covered it. Yeah. The editor is Martin Penta. I know that, uh, he was, uh, he, he, I think he f- worked on, uh, or yeah, he was the editor for Dallas Buyers Club. So, yeah, good editing in there. All right, Rotten Tomatoes game. Fresh has 143 reviews counted. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is, Valashin? Uh, I think, you know, like you said, it's probably in, like, between 60 and 70%. I'll say, like, 64%. Your guess is 64. Will Ashen, it is 80%. Oh, wow, it's higher than Certified Fresh. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if it was going to be fresh or rotten but no is indeed certified fresh there we go yeah well i think i think part of that too is like because i did mention like some of the people i follow in letterboxd who are rotten tomatoes critics you know i think most of them were like around three three and a half i don't think there are like yeah. high scores for this the like classics. i'm looking at it right now and it's like yeah 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 the, the, we see the rotten the tomatoes vibe where if everyone's just like yeah it was about three and a half uh, three out of five or whatever uh, you know, you'll, yeah. you'll boy up to like an 80 or 90 percent just because everyone is just like, yeah, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, right. If we were looking at the average rating, I don't know where that would shake out. Maybe we'll find out in a second through Letterboxd. But uh, what do you think the audience score is? Because we have 250 plus ratings. It, it is on Hulu. So like, you know, there is there's an audience checking this out. What do you think they think? Uh, I think they're going to be lower just because I just imagine a lot of folks are just going to be like, what is this? What's going on here? What are we doing? <laughs> What's the Winter Soldier doing here? Uh, but I don't think a lot of people are going to be. I don't know. I've heard some people be very critical of the movie, but I think most people are going to be like, that's fine. It was enjoyable streaming watch. So I'll say like 71%. 81%. Oh, wow. It's just 1% higher than you're the after, critics. You don't have your. Yeah. You, you don't have your finger on the pulse with Fresh. Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. That's okay. I think that's just this movie. It's just kind of wild. It's kind of it's kind of out there, isn't it? It's just people are so far liking it. At least the ones on that are, are uh, Rotten Tomatoes. But okay, your last chance, your redemption story begins here. What do you think the average rating is on Letterboxd? Uh, three point four. Oh, pretty close. Pretty close. Three point six. Okay. So yeah, it's been a little bit higher every time. <laughs> you keep you're underestimating fresh. I don't blame you. <laughs> I guess uh, I don't know. I just I, a lot of people I follow have been more negative than positive on Letterbox, so I thought it would be a little bit lower. That's so. interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely not for me. I, I think yeah, mostly average for me, and just a handful of pretty negative ones, negative reviews. But all right, well, that is fresh. It is able to watch on Hulu. I definitely recommend giving it a look if you're interested. For next week, we're going to be talking about Turning Red for sure, and I think there might be like 
one or two other things we talk about um, that come out, like the Atom Project. If we may talk about that one, but uh, yeah, we have a new Pixar coming out. Pretty exciting stuff. We also have South by Southwest coming up, so we're going to be pretty slammed for time. Going to be doing South by Southwest coverage, so keep an eye on all of that. And yeah, that's about all we got, I think, for the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one from the Internet California. I'm John Agroni. And for the Pennsylvania, I'm Lash. See you next time.